Sound of Football with your host, Colin Summer, brought to you by WHIP. How are we doing, guys? It's Sound of Football back with another episode. I hope you guys have been enjoying these episodes. One thing I want to mention, uh, I tried this one week when we did the Saints special and I did it with my good friend Dakota. I'm thinking that I want to kind of get an around-the-league perspective. So I'm going to be asking a couple of people that I know to come on the episode and talk about their respective teams. I have people who are Vikings fans, Patriots fans, Giants fans, a ton of different teams. So I thought it would be a really good idea to bring them on and get their perspective on on their teams and how they feel about them, what they want to see them do. So I'm really looking forward to trying that out and seeing how it goes. Other than that, back with another episode, like I said. Hope you guys enjoy. So let's get right into it. So the first thing we're going to do, as per usual, the recap. So first game I want to talk about, Vikings-Panthers. Not that this was a meaningful game by any means. It was just more so the fact that Teddy Bridgewater was facing his former team for the first time in as many years as, as it's been. You know, he's he's come a really, really long way. And as a Saints fan, I hated letting him go because I, I saw him being a part of this team for a while. We're, unfortunately, financially, we couldn't keep him. But even though he we went to the Panthers, a division rival, I still wanted to see him do well. And he has. He has done well. I, the record doesn't speak for that. But his individual performance this year, I think he's done very well, and I'm really happy to see it. Unfortunately, the Panthers cannot come out with a win, one-point game. But let me give you the stats on this game. So Teddy Bridgewater, he actually didn't have the finest game. He, he went 19 for 36, 267 yards and a touchdown, and he also threw a pick. They couldn't really get their run game going. I, I know it's been really difficult for them without Chris McCaffrey. Like Davis did fill in very well. He got stuffed a little bit this game. Only 15 carries for 55 yards, no touchdowns. Robbie Anderson, he had four catches for 94 yards and a touchdown. There was broken coverage on one play that allowed like a 40-plus yard touchdown. Curtis Samuel's actually been getting a lot more involved in the offense, and I know a lot of people were waiting to see how long it would take for that to happen. He had five catches for 72 yards, no touchdowns though. DJ Moore... He was having a decent game, uh, then he got hurt. He jumped for a ball in the end zone, uh, it got thrown behind him, and just, he just landed awkwardly on his knee. It looked like what could be the making of a torn ACL. I really hope not, never hope any player gets injured, but it certainly did not look good. The one thing I will mention, Jeremy Chin, who's been having a phenomenal rookie year, definitely in the running for defensive rookie of the year, he had back-to-back scoop and score fumble recovery touchdowns on back-to-back plays. You don't really see that often, especially by a rookie. Good for him. He's definitely making a name for himself in this league. Definitely making a name for himself for defensive rookie of the year. On the flip side of things, Kirk Cousins actually didn't have a bad day. He actually had a pretty good day. Now, I don't want to downplay it just because the Panthers don't have a great defense, but it still was a good day. He went 34 for 45 with 370 yards and three touchdowns. Dalvin Cook stuff for the most part, and from what I recall, the Panthers don't have a great rush defense, so to see Dalvin Cook get stuffed against defense as such, kind of shocking. He also got stuffed a little bit against Dallas, if I'm not mistaken. On the flip side of things, receiving-wise, we had Justin Jefferson. He had seven catches for 70 yards and two touchdowns. He's, uh, among other rookies, he's making a case for offensive rookie of the year. He's having an outstanding year. Ola B.C. Johnson. I can't tell you that I've ever heard of him, but he led the team in receptions, well, tied for receptions with three others, but he led the team in yards on Sunday. He had 74 yards. Kyle Rudolph, he also had seven catches for 68 yards. Chad Beebe had seven catches for 63 yards, and he had a touchdown. He actually needed redemption. He muffed a punt, 
and that ended up leading to a touchdown and put the Panthers in front. And he ended up catching the game-winning touchdown of the game-deciding touchdown, plus the extra point. The extra point was what made the one-point difference, obviously. But that's really it for this game. I just kind of wanted to talk about it because it was Teddy's return to Minnesota. Despite not having fans, or at least not many fans, I'm sure he would have been applauded, and that's for sure. The next game I want to talk about is Giants-Bengals. And again, real barn burner 1917 was the final score to the Giants. Again, not like crazy things, but if I'm not mistaken, and I'll take a look just to make sure, but the Giants now lead the division. They are currently in a playoff scenario, which is hard to believe at a 4-7 record. Daniel Jones, modest day, 16 for 27, 213 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, though. Cole McCoy had to come into the game. Daniel Jones had a injury suffered to his hamstring. It's looking like a strain. Nothing serious. Still questionable to come back for week 13. So I guess we will see. But Wayne Gallman, uh, somebody I mentioned picking up on the waiver wire last week. He had 24 carries for 94 yards and a touchdown. The game didn't exactly go as I planned. I thought that the Giants would be uh, getting out to an early lead and just run the ball a bunch, but that's not quite what happened. It was tied up for the most or for most of the game. It was a very close game, but Wayne Gallman still got the points that you might have needed for fantasy. Evan Ingram, <laughs> that's a little bit of a shocking player this game. Hasn't had quite the year that was expected out of him. You know, he's had drop issues, etc. fumbling. He did fumble in this game, actually, but he did have six catches for 129 yards, so he kind of needed that. Sterling Shepard, a lot of volume, not many yards. He had seven catches for 64 yards. Other than that, no one else really worth mentioning. On the flip side of things, Brandon Allen started for the Bengals. Ryan Finley was not used. He obviously didn't look well when he came in for Burrow in the last game, but he was turned into a situation he obviously was not expecting. He went 17 for 29 with 136 yards, touchdown pick, and Giovanni Bernard didn't, they didn't really rush the ball that much. They rushed the ball a total of 15 times. Interesting. Uh, But Gio Bernard, he had eight carries for 32 yards and a touchdown, something special. The leader for receptions and yards for the Bengals was T. Higgins. He had five catches for 44 yards and a touchdown, nothing crazy. Touchdown, obviously cool. Tyler Boyd, unfortunately, three catches for 15 yards. Pretty much everyone's value receiving-wise has gone downhill with Joe Burrow out. A.J. Green's practically invisible in this offense now. It's kind of sad to see. I'm sure he was expecting a nice season with nice contracts after but that's likely not coming his way. But the Giants with this win now lead the division. Like I said before, right behind them is the Redskins, the Eagles, and the Cowboys. Like, just going to be blunt. They both suck. Everyone in that division kind of sucks, but credit to the Giants. The last game I wanted to talk about was the 49ers-Rams game. This was kind of significant because there's a really tight race going on in the NFC West uh, between the Cardinals, Rams, Seahawks. Now, the Cardinals did lose this week, so that puts them a little about, a little out of distance to try and win the division. But with this win over the Rams, the 49ers really don't make a name for themselves. They're probably not going to make the playoffs, but... The Seahawks, where they went over the Eagles, they now lead the division. With an 8-3 record, the Rams now have a 7-4 record. But let's talk about this game specifically. So Nick Mullins had 24 completions to 20, uh, 35 attempts, 252 yards, no touchdowns, one pick. Not awful, but not great. Raheem Mostert had his first game back. He took the bulk of the carries. Didn't really average well. He had 16 carries for 43 yards and a touchdown. I know the Rams have a really, really good rush defense. Can't really blame him there. But Debo Samuel, he had quite the day. He had 11 11. Receptions for 133 yards, no touchdowns. But he led the lead, or he led the team. I see it. There could be a nice duo forming there with Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk when he's back. That could end up being a scary duo. I like Brandon Ayuk a lot personally. No one really had an outstanding day for the 49ers. Their defense just came to play. 
Uh, Jared Goff, he had three turnovers. He had a fumble. He had two picks. He went 19 for 31 with 198 yards. I don't think Jared Goff is that good. I think he's sometimes he can look good, but other times he looks absolutely terrible and clueless. I'm not a fan of him. Cam Akers, rookie. I was not expecting this. He had nine carries for 84 yards and a touchdown. He hasn't really, I haven't really seen him get used a lot. And even in this game, he didn't have the most carries. He actually was one behind Daryl Henderson, who only who had 10 carries for only 19 yards. But it's good to see they get the rookie involved. Robert Woods led the team. He had seven catches for 80 yards, no touchdowns. Then Cooper Cup, two for 41. Josh Reynolds, five for 40. Outside of that, nothing else really to mention. But like I said, with this game, this puts the Seahawks in front, and the Rams are now in second in the division, but still set up for a wild card spot. But those are all the games... For the recap, I kind of want to talk about two other things. So we're going to talk, or three other things, actually. So one, I want to talk about Kendall Hinton. I don't want really want to talk about it for long, but I just want to give uh, credit where credit is due. This guy was a practice squad receiver turned quarterback for the game against the Saints with the Denver Broncos QB room going down with COVID. They were all deemed high risk by the NFL. This guy was... No, I think this is the last thing he was expected to do. He was working in sales or marketing like two months ago. It was just a crazy story. You know, he didn't have a great day, but who would expect him to? He has no, he's never worked with any of the people on the Broncos offense. Like you can't expect him to go out there and throw for 300 yards, let alone maybe like 50 yards. In this game, Philip Lindsay was running a lot of wildcat. Melvin Gordon didn't really get anything going, but I just, for a guy to go out there and, you know, with practically no experience, with actually no experience, no chemistry, nothing, just learn the playbook and everything, you just have, you have to give him credit. I don't care if he didn't have any completions. I don't care if he had 40 completions. It doesn't matter. He deserves all credit. Will Fuller, who's been having a outstanding year with D-Hop gone, has now been suspended for six games for performance-enhancing drugs. He claims that it was a medicine that his doctor said was off the list of banned substances. Unfortunately for Will Fuller, that is not true. And, you know, we haven't seen Will Fuller stay healthy any season, and he suddenly stayed healthy this season. So, uh, you know, I was kind of hoping that this guy was just finally able to stay healthy and he was having a breakout year and it was, you know, hip hip hooray for him, but... This kind of hurts his reputation a little bit, especially for a contract year. So just wanted to bring that up. And then lastly, I just want to talk about current standings. So what we're looking at. So the Giants lead the NFC East. No one else from that division is going to get a wild card spot, obviously. But it's really, it's honestly a race between every single team in that division. So let's see what happens there. I think that the Cardinals have kind of fallen out of the race for the division in the NFC West. Yeah, the Seahawks are eight and three. Rams who are seven and four. Cardinals who are six and five. They lost to the Patriots. Now they certainly could come back and win this division, but that would require a lot of losses between the Seahawks and the Rams. But Seahawks currently lead that division. Rams and I believe the Cardinals are both set up for a wild card spot. Packers lead their division. NFC North eight and three. Next closest is five and six. With the Bears and the Vikings, they're both looking to maybe push for a wild card spot. But as we said before, as of right now, the Rams, Cardinals, and Buccaneers would all be ahead of them. Packers are taking that division as of right now. And the Saints for the NFC South at 9-2 are leading the division and currently have the number one seed in the NFC. Next closest is the Buccaneers at 7-5. Don't expect the Saints to lose this division, at least I hope not. As a Saints fan, they would have to, I believe, lose three games in order to... I mean, obviously, because the Saints have 
have two losses. Buccaneers have five. They would have to lose. Yeah, they would have to lose three games to. Uh, but even head to head, they would have to lose four games to lose this division. But I think for you know, as a Saints fan, I, I want that number one seed. But that's the NFC. So let's talk about the AFC. The Bills currently lead the AFC East with an eight and three record. Behind them is the Dolphins at seven and four, a very shocking team this year. Patriots at five and six. Jets, I went 11. That's just so funny to look at. It's such a poor organization. But the Dolphins are set up for a wild card spot. Bills are looking to take the division. It's really only a one game difference. One loss to the Bills, one more win for the Dolphins, and it's, uh, it's all tied up. I think tiebreaker goes to the Bills, I believe. But see how that comes, what, what that, what happens to that in the end. Chiefs 10 and 1 in their division. They pretty much have that locked up. I don't see the Raiders shooting for the division. However, they are also set up. I believe they're set up for a wild card spot. Let's see. No. No, they are not set up for a wild card spot. There are plenty of teams that are likely to get a wild card spot before them. So the Raiders will have to look to win as many games as possible, not for the division, but for a wild card spot. Otherwise, they will be eliminated. Yeah, the Steelers are still 10-0. Have yet to play the Ravens this week. I believe that if the Steelers beat the Ravens and put them at a 6-5 and record, uh, I don't know what the tiebreaker between the Raiders and the Ravens would be, but I guess we'll find out. But there's still other teams that have really good records. Behind the Steelers, who would have the number one wild card spot would be the Browns at 8-3. I still don't think they're that great of a team. I think they're a first-round exit if they make it, but we'll see what happens. And then we have the AFC South. We have the Titans, who just had Derrick Henry run all over the Colts. And with that win, they took the division. They are now eight and three. Colts are seven and four, and set up for a wild card spot. So as of as of right now, uh, not including the Steelers Ravens game that's yet to be played, the Browns Ravens and the Colts. No, I am wrong. The Browns Colts and Dolphins would all be in the playoffs. The Raiders would miss the cut. The Ra- the Ravens would miss the cut. Interesting. So those are your weekly standings. That's where we stand. Kind of curious to see how the end of the season unfolds. But let's continue. Outstanding performers. So in this segment, we obviously, I mean, I mean, the title speaks for itself. I'm just picking out three people who had a phenomenal week. Number one, Tyreek Hill. 13 catches, 269 yards, three touchdowns. He now, you could easily say, well, he just had a fluke first quarter. Well, it's not really a fluke when you're getting 203 yards and two touchdowns in the first quarter, three touchdowns, I can't remember. This guy was having his way with the Bucks defense then. Some penalties drew him back in the second half. He only, I think he only gained uh, around 50 yards in the second half, nothing crazy. But the fact that he ended up with 13 catches for 269 yards and three touchdowns, and that leaped him into first prior to the Seahawks game uh, in receiving yards. Now DK leaves in receiving yards. But Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are two and three in receiving yards. That's just crazy to me. So that's the first outstanding performer. Then we have Derrick Henry. He had 27 carries for 177 yards and three touchdowns. That's just very Derrick Henry-esque. He ran all over the Colts. He was bulldozing all day, ripping off big chunk runs, getting touchdowns. That's what you would expect him to do. Ryan Tannehill wasn't forced to do much. Great game by Derrick Henry. It's kind of expected, but it's just amazing to see him do this so consistently. And then the other guy, I like this guy. I think he's going to be a nice, a nice future piece for the football team. Excuse me if I called them the Redskins before. It's just honestly habit. I'll just refer to them as Washington our football team from now on. Oh, well, but Antonio Gibson, he he had 20 carries for 115 yards and three touchdowns. That's the second time he gashed the uh, the Cowboys. 
the first time he had similar rushing stats, only one touchdown, but this week, he, or on Thanksgiving, he had three touchdowns. He just looks good. I personally have him in fantasy. I'm going to definitely keep him. He's a keeper for me. He's been showing just polished running all year. He's The football team doesn't exactly have, you know, some crazy offensive unit. You know, they have Terry, but outside of Terry, who do they have? And they have... Who's our quarterback right now? Alex Smith. Credit to Alex Smith. I, I love seeing his comeback. It's awesome. It's honestly heartwarming, and I love it. But Antonio Gibson, I, I, I just like him a lot. Like I said, three touchdowns, 115 yards. He did great. He's a rookie. I think he could be a nice piece for them for a while. Him and J.D. McKissick form a nice duo. I know Payne Barber's there, but he doesn't really add much value. But I do like this duo a lot, and uh, I can see it flourishing. On to the next segment. Keys to success. Major key alert. So, in this segment, I kind of just want to talk about some things that I think certain teams need to do in order to, you know, get their offense moving, get their defense moving, just get the team moving as a whole. These are teams that are pushing for a wild card spot right now. They currently, none of these teams currently have a spot, but if they want to rack up some wins, this is what they got to do. So for the Raiders, they, they got to get the running game going early. Very, very early. I know Josh Jacobs hasn't exactly had the season that he'd like. He just had, he has a sprained ankle now. I don't know if he's playing next week. That's still up in the air. But I think they have to uh, lean on Jalen Richard and Devontae Booker now. And that's not exactly what you would want in your running back duo they aren't great running backs but they need to step up for the next couple of games depending on how long Josh Jacobs is out but the running game's got to get going early I know the passing game isn't flawless it's not bad either but they have to control the clock they can't allow their defense to be on the field as long as they have been their defense is not good their defense is not good at all so they have to chew up as much clock as they can and and running the ball is the only way to do so the other thing I said was What's the point of drafting Henry Ruggs so early if you're not going to use him? So Henry Ruggs, the 12th overall pick, he's he just hasn't been involved in the offense. He has 17 catches for 317 yards and a touchdown. You know, for the first receiver taken off the board, you'd think he would get more involved. And, and it's not like he's not healthy. He's been playing. The last two weeks, he has like three catches, two catches. Like he's They're just not using him. Uh, I definitely thought it was questionable taking rugs out of any receiver. I know he's a blazer. He's super fast. He can burn defenses. But I just feel like they're not using him in the best way. He's an explosive player. He's definitely a big play threat. I just think they got to find a way to incorporate him more, whether it's, you know, maybe even more short routes, short, and then just, you know, yards after catch, create lanes for him, uh, jet sweeps, literally anything. They just got to they have to make it so other defenses are pointing their attention towards him and seeing him as valuable, and that opens up opportunities for, for, for so many other players. But I just think that those are the two things that the Raiders have to do to keep it pushing for the rest of the season. My next team is the Ravens. Now, this might sound kind of like dumb, not dumb, but typical. I say get out to an early lead and lessen the weight on Lamar's shoulders. I say this because I think Lamar is not a great passer. And if you put him in a situation where he's playing from behind and he has to pass the ball, the likelihood that they're going to come back and win is very, very minimal. Lamar, like, he's just, he's just not a good passer. He's great running. He's great running. And, you know, early in the game, I love to see him run, get touchdown score, you know, you know, pile it on the other team. But any game where it becomes a situation for the Ravens and they have to come from behind, it's not looking great. So unless they get to early leads and, you know, that run game gets going, and they don't really have to worry about as much on Lamar, then they'll be fine. 
they'll be fine. They'll be perfectly fine. The Ravens' defense can carry them. You know, I know their run game is good. I like J.K. Dobbins this year. I think that he hasn't had a crazy role, but recently he's been doing well. I think you keep feeding him. You keep feeding Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, anyone. You know, Lamar can take more carries if he needs to. I mean, he has to pass. I'm not saying don't, you know, only run the ball. He obviously has to pass, but they have to make sure to get early leads or keep it close at the very least. The Ravens playing from behind is not going to help them win. It wouldn't help any team win, but specifically the Ravens. I just, Lamar, like, I hate that. And I keep saying it, but he's just not a great passer. He's not a great passer, and he's definitely not great in the clutch passing. So that's my take on the Ravens. And then Vikings. I think they got to, and they have been doing this. I think Kirk Cousins can be underrated. Uh, People say he's overrated, overpaid. I think he's rated perfectly at this point in his career. Uh, I think, you know, at times he can actually be underlooked, but my, my take on the Vikings is that they got to continue to beat teams through the air and protect and protect Dalvin's health. They have to become less reliable on him. I say this because he's, you know, he's averaging 22 carries a game. He's prone to injury. We all know that. Alexander Madison, uh, he averages 7.4 touches or carries at least uh, per game, but the last two games he's had three total. They can't expect Dalvin to do everything. Now, they might... You know, they might look at it as, okay, well, we have to use Dalvin. We're on the brink of not making the playoffs, so we have to use our best player get him involved. But when you have people like Adam Thielen, you have people like Justin Jefferson, who's exploded onto the scene, you have Kyle Rudolph, who's a major red zone threat, you have pieces that you can, you know, use that aren't Dalvin Cook. I just think that recently Dalvin's been... Just taking every single carry. Like I said, Madison's only had two. Or no, he's had three in the last two games. They got to use Madison more. And Madison isn't even that bad. When he comes in, he picks up some good chunks. Uh, I think they got to... They gotta, they gotta use him more. Dalvin's health, I think, is heavy, is heavily reliable in the playoffs. I think he, he has to be perfectly healthy in the playoffs if they make it. Otherwise, they don't go anywhere, in my opinion. But that's just my key for the Vikings. I think that they have to figure out other ways because you know teams are obviously gonna key in on Dalvin. Dalvin could get hurt with the usage that he's going through. Uh, I just think there's other ways to become successful for the Vikings that don't have to do with Dalvin. So that's what I have for that. So the next segment, Bound to Happen. My God! Okay, it's happening! Everybody stay calm! So my two, I have takes on things that are bound to happen. At least I kind of hope so. So the first one is, so Wentz has to get benched, right? Like, after last night, like, he has to get benched, right? There's no way he doesn't. So this season, he has 2,541 yards. He has 21 total Touchdown, 16 passing, 5 rushing. He's 15 picks, which is first in the league. He's taken 46 sacks. That's also first in the league. He has 95 off-target incompletions. That's also first in the league. He has 4 lost fumbles as well. He basically has 21 total touchdowns to 19 turnovers. I believe that's the worst ratio in the league. One of the worst ratios in the league. That's terrible. The Eagles are technically speaking still fighting for a playoff spot, but let's be realistic. No matter who wins that division, they're a first round exit. I don't expect them to be any single team. I would be I would be very, very shocked if they did. But I just feel like the Eagles don't have anything to lose at this point. You could say the division, but if they get a first round exit, then they get a late round draft pick and a first round pick. And it and it just wouldn't make sense. They need they gotta get someone early. I think they gotta give Jalen Hurts a chance. Now I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is some crazy special talent. I, you know, he could be. 
I, I liked him in college. I definitely did. I, I just want to see him get played. Like, I want to see him start. I think that benching Wentz might might be a good thing. I think that part of the reason why the Eagles' success has been awful this year is Doug Peterson can't run an offense. He's terrible at play calling. I think Eagles fans would agree with that. He's god-awful. You know, and give him the cir- given the circumstances that Wentz has, you know, Howie Roseman has done a poor job building around Wentz. I mean, taking a guy like, uh, and nothing against Jalen Regor, but taking him over Justin Jefferson, a guy who tore it up in the biggest stage in college football in the national championship, I just think that's extremely foolish. They got to get, and you know who I didn't see last night in the game much was Travis Fulham. I saw Alshon Jeffrey playing, and he looks, he's so slow. He is extremely slow. But I just think, for the rest of the season, I think Wentz sits on the bench, or at least until if Jalen Hurts isn't performing well either. But I think they got to give Jalen Hurts a shot, saying he's going to you know, see more time on the field. It's one thing, but actually letting him start is another. And I think that it is bound to happen. We see Jalen Hurts at least once this season. Now, my last thing that's bound to happen, I think that Brady eventually finds some chemistry with the Bucks' offense. So, so far this season, he has 3,300 passing yards, 28 touchdowns, 11 picks. You know, that's not bad, but he's been horrible trying to throw the deep ball this year, and I know that Arians is trying to force him to do so. I just think that's foolish, trying to force a guy who's, you know, he's older. He doesn't have the same, I'm not saying he doesn't have the arm strength, but he doesn't, certainly doesn't have the same accuracy he's had throughout his entire career. But it, I just think that it's so much of Arians trying to control this offense rather than Brady, you know, who's had some control, you know, who had, he had control in the Patriots system. But I think that Arians, Brady need to find this balance between them that, that works. And I think that Arians you know, from comments I've seen has been putting the blame on Brady, but I think it's kind of, I think it's partially fair. Like I said, he hasn't been great this year. You can definitely tell he he's missing throws. You know, he's telegraphing throws. You can see that defenders know exactly what he's going to do, but I just think that they need fluidity. They need chemistry. He has all these star receivers, and I always said, you know, I always think that you can always have you can have too many stars on a team. And I think that creates some, not negative energy, but negative chemistry. And it just doesn't work that well. There's so like there's so many options, but you don't know which one to throw to. I just think that this system needs to start working more in Brady's favor. I think that it's been not great so far. 7-5 and five record for a team that's certainly better than that is concerning. But I think that once, and once Arians and Brady... You know, me in the middle, I think things become a lot better between them two. So that's that for Bound to Happen. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And the last segment I have for today is Sit'em Stardom. So my start of the week, I have two, a wide receiver and a running back. I also have sitting a wide receiver and a running back. So I would say start Devontae Parker, and this is why I said two is likely to be out. Not 100% sure, but he's likely to be out. So this past week, Devontae Parker had 14 targets. He had eight catches, 119 yards. With Fitzpatrick, that was a 30% target share. He 100% gets a bigger target share with Fitzpatrick at QB. They're also playing a poor Cincinnati defense. So I could see Devontae Parker lighting it up. My stat, my, and I don't want to be absurd with stat predictions, but stat prediction for PPR, I say seven catches for 99 yards and a touchdown. That would be around 20... 
22 points, 23 points in that range. And then I also said Raheem Mostert. So he led in touches versus Rams during his first game back. He only had like around 50 total yards and a touchdown, but he's playing an average Bills run defense, middle of the pack. But I could see 40, 15 to 20 touches, especially since the Rams or the Bills, not Rams, the Bills have a good secondary. So I could see a lot of touches out of him. My honest stat prediction for him, 17 carries for 87 yards, a touchdown and three catches for 22 yards. That would put him around, around 20 points pretty good. My two sits of the week. So I know T Higgins had four, or no, he had five catches for 44 yards and a touchdown last week. It wasn't a bad performance. He had basically, I I believe that's 15 points, but let's be honest, the offense in Cincinnati has taken a major hit since Burrow went down. God, I hope he's recovering well. Now, like I said, Higgins, he had a solid game last week against the Giants weak defense. I think the Dolphins pose a much stronger matchup. I just think in the end that he is benchable in this one and they're, unless he's uh, unless you don't have any other options, I would, I would avoid playing him. The PPR machine, the running back I want to sit this week is JD McKissick. He took a backseat to Gibson last week. Antonio Gibson's also getting a lot more receptions as of lately. They're playing the Steelers. You know, I'd say start Gibson because I like Gibson. I think that at this point in the season that you have to, regardless of who he's playing, but JD McKissick, I would, you know, unless they're playing from behind, which is likely to happen. I still wouldn't play him. I don't expect them to get to get a lot of yards, a lot of opportunities with them going to be passing a lot. Might get involved in the passing game, but I think that Gibson's showing that he can be the all-around back, so I would avoid J.D. McKissick as well. So that's it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Like I said, last week and even this week, I just, I'm trying to mix in different segments. I'm trying to switch it up, not, you know, keep it the same. I want to keep it kind of consistent, but I don't want to have everything be the same every single week. Sometimes it's hard to come up with new things, but sometimes it's easy. I just want you guys to enjoy everything that I produce. I'm trying to make it as enjoyable as possible. I also mentioned I want to get this around the NFL perspective. I think it would be really cool to see what fans want from from their teams. Do they want to see them make the playoffs, not make the playoffs, get a good draft pick? So I'm going to keep you guys updated on that. Hopefully I can get someone in for the next episode. But I hope you guys enjoyed. And I have one last question. Are you down to football?